Hello, welcome to Horror Court Trash Over, the show that discusses all of the masterpieces and trash the pieces of genre cinema. I'm Gary. And I'm Chris. And it's our Valentine's special. Oh no, it's very romantic. It is. Love is in the air, and do we have a romantic film for you today? No, we don't. No. But either way, um, we'll get to that shortly. First up, pressure on everyone's lips. What's new with Chris and Gary? Um, yeah, what is new with Chris and Gary? I, uh, this week we have a best and a worst of the week. Well, I do anyway. You do, yes, yes. Uh, two ties, actually. Oh. So, first up, for best, no, she, let's go worst. Let's get the negative out of the way. Uh, worst of the week is a tie for me between Morocco and Fat Choice Spirit. Yeah, yeah, worst. Um... I, yeah, I'm gonna say it. most disappointing for me this week is Morocco. Yeah, yeah. So the Marlena Dietrich film from 1930, uh, Joseph von Sternberg. I was expecting so much more. I mm-hmm. was really, I was genuinely really disappointed. I thought I was gonna get melodrama. I thought I was gonna get really over the top performances. I thought I was gonna get camp. Um, but I thought I was going to get numerous musical numbers, which I had, I had seen the famous one where she, a kiss, where she kisses a female member of the audience. I thought, yes, this is a bit of me. This is, I'm going to be living for this. And I have to say, I was a little bored for yeah. most of it. I did think it was rather dull. It, it is a shame that something so groundbreaking is so mm. boring. Yeah, I have to give credit where it's due, just just for even just that kiss existing, yeah. and for the sort of gender bending that mm-hmm. Marlene Dietrich did in the film. You know, for nineteen thirty, come on. Yeah. You know, I have to give it props for that. So I don't want to say it's the worst of the week. Technically, it is, um, because it's it's been another decent week. Yes. But I will call it the most disappointing film of the week. Yeah. And the same exact same can be said about Fat Choice Spirit. Now, if you like Mahjong, this is the film for you. If you don't have a clue about Mahjong like me, you're in for a fucking boring time. Yeah, I didn't really have any expectations for Fat Choice Spirit, um, if I'm being honest, because I'd never really heard of it. But it was a film that our local independent cinema put on for the Lunar New Year. Yeah. And we were like, yes, you know, let's go and, and, and watch this film. It really seems like our kind of thing. We love, as you know, Asian cinema. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I didn't realise how integral to the viewing experience my knowing Mahjong would be. Yeah. And it did, there was a lot of, um, and I'm sure this isn't a spoiler, but there were a lot of moments where the tension was built around um, whatever hand they would have in Mahjong, but it wasn't really explained. No. So I was just kind of a bit like, oh, I, I'm assuming this is a tense moment, but I don't know what we need to see in order for it to be a, a yay or nay sort of celebration. Yeah. Um, which was kind of disappointing. And I I feel like a lot of the jokes, because um, it's from 2002, I, I feel like 
Well, they have it. It's not like it's an, not a PC sort of film. You know, it's not offensive. But I feel like a lot of the jokes didn't really land. No. Maybe it's an age sort of thing. Yeah. I, yeah, it was, it was a little disappointing. It was. But, you know, as much as we had two uh, disappointing films, we also had two great pieces of media. Uh, and my tie for best of the week is The White Lotus Season 2. And The Iron Claw. Yes, uh, I completely agree. Uh, the White Lotus Season 2 and The Iron Claw, both uh, masterpieces. Yeah. Like, really just fantastic entertainment. Yeah. It's amazing how The White Lotus uh, has such a solid first season, which, dare I say, might be my favourite... The show as a whole might be my favourite show since Twin Peaks. Mm. It's just incredible it's just so funny so captivating even though we're watching terrible people for most of the runtime um and the, the first season was just flawless and so was the second season it just perfect episode after perfect episode great cast jennifer coolidge somehow even better her <laughs> shooting without looking uh, meme that i'm sure many of you will have seen um, during the uh, Gays Are Trying to Murder Me episode. Honestly, it's just a work of art. It's genius, and I cannot wait for season three. Yeah, just to for a show to go from genuinely intriguing to hilariously funny at a flip of a coin. Yeah. Um, that's a real talent. It is. There, that's a real talent. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I... Couldn't wait to watch the next episode. And we're not bingers, really. Not really, no. We're we don't watch not, enough TV shows. Yeah, we don't watch a hell of a lot of TV. Um, but we were hooked with this yeah. one. We we were hooked. And even... We tend to specify a certain time, don't we, for yeah. TV. But even outside of that time, we were like, oh, no, we, we want to know what happens next. Yeah. And, you know, foolish us not watching it as it aired. You know, yeah. <laughs> and sort of being because I feel like some of the memes were actually a bit of a spoiler. Yeah. And not that it really took away from it, but I I'd like to have been watching it with the rest of the world. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, and also completely agree. The Iron Claw. Um, heartbreaking. Yeah. Really just fantastically acted and filmed um extremely respectful to the von Erich story um genuinely frustrating at times mm. i'm not going to lie you know um but in it, in it, it, you know by design i just yeah i thought it, i thought it was a really really fantastic film yeah and it, it, it's a story that i know quite well you know i am a wrestling fan um and i i was I suppose I was a little nervous that it may have turned into melodrama mm. and I don't think it was the right place for that and it didn't it no. was very very heart-wrenching and poignant but it is very much the male virgin suicides yes yeah yeah we we did see that um a few people online had described it as the male virgin suicides and it's, it's yeah eerily similar yeah. You know, especially considering, you know, the Iron Claw is based on a true story. Mm -hmm. So eerily similar yeah. in sort of its tone and, and, and 
unfortunately its conclusion. Yeah. No, it's it's so good and it is much like we said about all of us strangers, absolutely bizarre that it hasn't been nominated for any Oscars. Mm. It's been a fantastic year. Yeah. It really has because I wouldn't know well, no, I do know. But apart from Oppenheimer, I don't know where I don't... would swap it in. Yeah. Like in terms of Well, we haven't seen Maestro yet. So... We haven't seen Maestro yet, that is true. Um, but I, I I don't know why we haven't. No. I love Leonard Bernstein. Yeah. But yeah, we, we need a little bit of catching up to do before the Oscars. We do. Uh, so, other than that, some honourable mentions. We watched The Girl Can't Help It. Oh, now that, that may have been, if it wasn't for The Iron Claw, that would have been my top pick of film of the week. Oh. I loved it. I just thought it was so enjoyable, so much fun. Um, maybe I'm a little biased because it's one of John Waters' favourite films. But I thought Jane Mansfield was iconic. She was. Um... It's. I mean, it's a basic plot. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's very basic, yeah. um, but it's elevated by Jane Mansfield, and mm. it's elevated by those musical numbers. Oh, yeah. Some of the most iconic rock and roll stars from the time. Um, Little like, Richard, Gene Vincent, The yeah. Platters, really elevates, like Gary said, basic film, but really elevates yeah. it and makes it iconic. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, the Abby Lincoln musical number in particular, oh, it genuinely, yeah. it looks like something out of Blue Velvet. It's, oh, stunning. Yeah, it really looks amazing. Mm. And it's good, to, um, it, it's nice to see films from around that time when they're first experimenting with colour films mm. and how the technical, the, the sort of like dreamlike look that it gives it, um, which also can be said for another honourable mention, which is the Samurai Trilogy. Um, released in the first one's released in the same year as Seven Samurai, and this isn't in black and white, this is in colour, and the methods they use, it's it's like looking at a painting. It's stunning. Absolutely stunning. Trilogy as a whole, I think it's solid. It's not on the same level as Seven Samurai. Um, but the second film comes close. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. I feel like as a trilogy, it's maybe the same critique as The Girl Can't Help It. Yeah. Where it's actually, at times, a little basic. Yeah. But there are so many elements that elevate it and make it more than it it could have been. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it's beautifully shot. I think it looks fantastic. I really enjoyed the performances. There's some really great action scenes Mm-hmm. Um, there's some really fucking annoying women in the film. <laughs> Honestly, we watched three films back to back, so we spent, you know, best part of five hours with these yeah. characters within one day. And good lord, the just... melodrama! Oh, which I love. But... but by the time you get to the third one, it's oh. kind of like yeah. Women just throwing themselves at this man. There's one woman in particular who really got on my nerves. She was a wet blanket. Yeah. And I just wanted to say, get yourself together, love. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely worth watching. And uh, other honourable mentions include TNT Jackson. A... Let's talk about some strong women. Yes. Yes. Um, Grindhouse... 
exploitation film starring uh, a Playboy model, uh, Jeannie Bell, in the lead role, doing her best Pam Grier. Um, and I don't often like to, you know, I don't want to compare women with women, but let's be honest, this film was released the same year as Foxy Brown, and I think we can, I think we don't even have to look, I think we can guess which one came first. Yeah, I do enjoy when exploitation genres mix together. Yeah. So you have the black exploitation aspects, but then you also have the sort of low budget martial arts picture as well. Yeah. And we own the DVD. It's part of our our series. It's part of our viewing <laughs> <laughs> where we are watching films that we've purchased for one pound. Yeah. And let's be honest, it looked like 50p. Yeah. <laughs> it looked like uh, yeah. shit. It adds but it's to it. So it added to it. Yeah. It really added to it. I love this low budget silliness. Yeah. And it's it's a silly film and it is very, you know, it's what you expect. Yeah. Black exploitation, martial arts, it's all based around drug dealing yeah. in the Far East. So it's... It was the better film we watched for Chinese New Year. It's not the most PC film we've ever watched. But, but it was the better Chinese New Year film we watched. Yeah. Um, uh, our girl TNT can't fight to save a life, bless her. Um, but... The, the stunt woman was... <laughs> she was That booked. wig got a good working out. It, she was she was well booked for this film, that <laughs> stunt woman. I don't know why she didn't, they didn't get someone... You could do both, but... But the scenes where you can't actually see Jeannie Bell's face, they're either sped up or slowed down. And at one point, the lights are literally turned off, just so you don't notice how bad her fucking fighting is. Yes. Hilarious. One fight scene, though, where the lights were up was... Uh, and I, I don't think this is a spoiler, but it's truly iconic. I don't think anyone cares about spoiling TNT Jackson. No. <laughs> Um, but she was in a state of undress. Yeah. She had been, you know, these bad guys had come into her room and she was in a, a vulnerable moment. Of course. And um, she's like, nah, fuck this. Modesty yeah. be damned and kick their asses um, in her neo knickers. Yeah. And uh, I was living for it. I yeah. was like, good on you. <laughs> yeah. Iconic moment. As part of our erotic thriller Fridays, this week's erotic thriller was Dead Sexer. Dead Sexer. Um, Shannon Tweed, or as she's now known, Shannon Tweed Simmons. Yes, um, yes. Give Mrs. It, Jean Simmons. The film gives you what it says on the tin. You get a dead person within the opening five minutes, and it's pretty sexy within the opening five minutes. That's very true. Um, it has saxophone solos, over-exaggerated sex, terrible dialogue, terrible performances. It's it's everything you could want from an erotic thriller. It is. It was... um from A lot of the sort of director video or what are they called? Like Skinnymax ones? Skinnymax, yeah. Skinnymax. Here in the UK, it was... Friday night, Channel 5, yeah. erotic thrillers. But they, they originate from America. This is quite late. Yeah. Um. So Shannon Tweed has a body double in this one. Yes, she This does. is quite later on. This is 2001. Um, but I thought it was quite a lot, really. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't remember there being so much George W. No. 
in these films. Um, yeah, quite. I mean, I've seen a lot of the ones you've shown me so far. I'm not going to lie. It's a fair bit of George W, actually. <laughs> Maybe I misremember them. Maybe they were a lot racier than I remember. Because I, I never thought they were that racy. <laughs> really? What was it from Poor Things? Meharry... Oh, what was oh yeah, she grabbed my hairy. Oh, uh, it was going to be a new. It's a new way of referring to pubes, but it was. Well, I, I'm going to go with George. W. We'll, we'll rewatch George poor w. things and bring it back. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it it's um, if if you enjoy the genre of campy erotic thrillers, direct yeah. to video, or uh-huh. you know. TV movie variety, yeah, and pretty top tier, really. Uh huh. Pretty up there with some of the best. Yeah. And round enough, what has been our longest? What's new with Chris and Carrie? We've watched so much shit um, this week. We've made a start on the bear, which we'll obviously talk more about next week, and we'll probably finish season one. Um, but so far, it's it's fucking intense. Um. Yeah. As someone who worked, um, as like a waiter. Back in the day, um, painfully familiar with how intense uh-huh. it gets, um, even more so than what I had to deal with. I don't think I could have coped mm-hmm. with these people. Yeah. Um, but obviously, we are hooked because, yeah, they are. Because we know Jamie Lee Curtis is going to be in it eventually. Yeah. yeah. True. <laughs> um, but yeah, that that brings. I don't say but for that brings. Uh, catch up to an end, and it's time to dig in to 2009, a time where Paramore, My Chemical Romance, and Fallout Boy were in their uh, in their heyday, shall we say? Um, probably not entirely true. I prefer Paramore's later stuff, but anyway, um, New French Extremity was at its all time high. Torture porn was fully in fashion. Yes. And we get a film that seems to be a result of all of that. Um, an equivalent to an early Paramore MCR Fallout Boy song. It's The Loved Ones. Yes. A time where nothing was sexier than a skinny guy with hair that but hadn't never been washed for a fortnight. <laughs> hair like he works in a chip shop. <laughs> yeah. It's the loved ones. Um, a cult film now. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And people love this film and I can absolutely see why. I watched it around the time when it came out. I think there was a bit of a gap between the Australian release and uh, the UK release. Because this is Australian. I don't know if we've discussed an Australian film on the podcast before. And if we have, and I forgot about it, you can forgive me because we're 310 episodes in. Yeah. <laughs> I was struggling to remember the uh, Lost Boys sequels this week. I was, I was having a right old mare over it. I was like, oh, I don't remember a single thing. Um, <clears> that's, the the, that's for the best. That's for yeah. the best. Um, let's actually talk about a good film. Um, yeah, The Loved Ones, written and directed by Sean Byrne, his feature-length debut, mm. and his only other feature-length film is The Devil's Candy, which I have not seen. Uh, made on a budget of $4 million, and it only made $358,399 worldwide. Yeah, um, uh, like Gary said, a cult film now. Yeah. I have 
I had really had no history with this film. I wasn't really aware of it when it came out. Um, I I'm probably saw the DVD or, or the Blu-ray and thought, oh, it's a Jennifer Tilly film and just <laughs> carried on with my day. Because um, she looks like Jennifer Tilly on she the front. She does, she does. And, uh, and then I just, yeah, and, until Gary showed me it whenever that was over the last few years yeah. at some point, um, I had, I wasn't really aware, if I'm going to yeah. be honest. Uh, the 2000s... If I'm going to be honest, does anyone cares if I had heard of this film in 2009? <laughs> um, the 2000s obviously weren't the best... It wasn't the best decade for horror. We've discussed this so many times on the podcast, how it was pretty fucking rough. Mm. Um, this is one of the standouts for me. This is one of the better horror films of the 2000s. Um, it just... It's not groundbreaking. It doesn't try and break any new grounds. There, You know, it's not perfect. But it's just... I don't know, it's just, I just find it so... I, I used to find it really intense, but now it's just as hilarious as it is intense. Given that I've now realised it's also supposed to be a horror comedy. It was actually originally given an R18 plus rating uh, by the Australian Classification Board, but through an appeal by the Review Board, the film's rating was successfully replaced with an MA15 plus rating due to the comedy aspect of the film... Um, which turned down the sadistic aspect and the impact of the violence. This should not be a 15 in a any place of the world. <laughs> um, it is fucking nasty. Yeah. Like, this film, I I've watched it multiple times. Like, there are moments that always make my stomach turn a bit. It's fucking gross. Yeah, and I, I think there's a difference. You're going to see throughout the episode, there's going to be a difference between mine and Gary's opinion on the film to a certain degree. I don't like the sort of aspects of horror that are maybe prevalent in this film. I'm not a huge fan of uncomfortable gore and that kind of torture porn yeah. style of horror. I'm not a huge fan of that. Um, I like the more campier elements. I like the more grandiose and silly and, you know, that, that kind of horror. That's not you know, black and white, but on the majority of the time, that is what I prefer. Um, so I did really appreciate the comedy in this film. Yeah. Um, but the other aspects, I wasn't a huge fan of. Yeah. And we'll discuss that, obviously. I think it's... I think torture porn as a whole, is a genre that's best left in the ground. Mm. It yeah. kind of died out with the 2000s. And if a film was a torture film after that, it kind of had a little more plot going for it. And, yes. you know, it kind of did enough to justify not being torture porn. Mm. Um, I, I do think this definitely leans into it, but I don't know how seriously it leans into it. Like, I feel like a lot of this is very satirical. So... Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Carrie, Misery, and Audition were all inspirations for this film, to the point that her pink dress is actually an homage to Carrie's pink dress in Carrie. So it what would Courtney Love have to say uh, about well, that? Well, no, you'd have to send her some flowers. Um, but it kind of, for me, it kind of leans more into satire 
where I don't know if it's taken the torture porn elements entirely seriously. The whole thing here feels like a satire of a girl wanting to go to a prom with a boy and that whole tantrum thing that was kind of a stereotype within the 2000s is just taken to an extreme level. Yeah. Um, which brings me to the female representation. Now, obviously, we're discussing this during Women in Horror Month as well. Uh, I think it's a very good time to talk about this sort of female representation yes. in this film. So, obviously, you know, one-dimensional, psychotic female character is at the centre of this film. Mm. She doesn't have much character development. She doesn't, you know, there's not much to her. We don't have much backstory and so on. Um, but the fact that it's played for comedic purposes, I don't know whether that... How do you take that? It's, because it's difficult. It, I think it's it's genuinely funny. Yes. I don't think it's intended to be offensive. No. Because there are more likeable female characters in this film. And sometimes it's nice to just watch a woman going crazy in a horror film. It's, yes. you know, it's a, when you're not taking it seriously, it can be a sleigh at certain points. Yeah. Like there's so many camp moments in this film because of this character and, you know, the thing she does um, to the point that I feel like it's so silly to the point that it, I don't think it's misogynistic. I don't, I don't think it's misogynistic. It's a tale as old as time. Um, the psychotic woman. Yeah. Um, the psychotic woman who hasn't found the love of a good man and so decides to punish men in general because no man could ever love her yeah. because she's not pretty enough or she's not social enough or all that. Um, also, have we done the spoiler warning? Spoiler warning is now in effect. Thank you. Just so we <laughs> well, know. We've not discussed any spoilers yet. No, so the spoiler I'm, warning I'm is now in effect. About to. <laughs> yeah. So I'm I'm gonna go into spoiler territory. Because it, it's I feel like the film spends too much time throwing stuff out there. Yeah. And not enough time focusing on this character, um, remind me, what's her name? Lola. I'm about to say it like a thousand times. Lola. Um, the, the character of Lola. So she feels one dimensional. Because it's too busy doing the torture porn thing. Mm. It's too busy having lobotomized zombies in the basement. Yeah. It's too busy with that, that she doesn't get fully developed. So it is very one note. Yeah. But there are moments that, made me chuckle because they felt like a satire mm -hmm. of not I don't think of psychotic women I think it was a satire of teen films yeah and I think what we get is a film that was written and directed by a man yeah and it's looking at it from a certain perspective mm -hmm. um because We'll get into it, but I think the idea that the women there are three teenage women and girls really in mm. this film that played by much older actresses. Yes. It's kind of jarring yeah. at points. Because like, I swear they were all one of them was in their late twenties, one yeah. of the actors in the film playing a teen. Um but the these three teenage girls, two of them are very openly sexual. 
Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. then Lola wants to be, and it's like, okay, so this is all based on women who want a shag but can't get a shag. And like, yeah. are we at that base level uh-huh. with this? But we'll get into it as yeah. we carry on. And um, before we get into who's in it, uh, this was part of a controversial crime. Uh, well, I mean, all crimes obviously are a bit controversial, but it's, just, it's controversial because of a crime. Let me reword that. It's controversial because of a crime. Thank you. Um, so, tale as old as time, horror films being blamed for terrible things. Yes. Uh, in March 2013 at Chester Crown Court, Judge Elgin Edwards described a sadistic torture murderer um, reenacting a scene from this film. So, during the sentence, Judge Evans described the defendant, Gary George, who was sentenced to life imprisonment with a minimum uh, term of 30 years, as particularly liking the loved ones. That's obviously why he murdered people. So, do we know what scene in particular? Um, no. Okay. Probably for the best. This is still a fun Valentine's episode, let's not get too grim. No, but but I... (laughs) Um, yeah, it's, yeah, the tale is old. Is it, yeah. I, I feel like we've had to defend horror films against, uh, <laughs> against people saying that they're, uh, the reason for real life crime. Yeah. I feel like we've done it so many times. Mm-hmm. Just go back to any video nasty episode yeah. that we've done. Uh, so let's talk about who's in the film. In a section we like to call, Hey, I Know You. Xavier Xavier Samuel as Brent. Now, a lot of people knew him in the 2000s. At the start of the Twilight Saga, Eclipse, and Breaking Dawn Part 2. As well as Love and Friendship, Fury, Adore, Bait, A Few Best Men, Alvis, Blonde, Plush, and more. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I did say... Why would I lie about these things? Uh, (laughs) um, I did say to Gary... uh, when I saw the Blu-ray cover, I was like, why is Xavier Samuel the only one that's yeah. gotten any credit? And Gary explained the Twilight Saga. Yes. Well, you didn't explain it. I know what it is. <laughs> he's He was in the Twilight Saga. Yeah. Uh, Robin McLeavy plays Lola. Uh, she was in Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter, Hell on Wheels, 48 Shades, Super Fun Night, Backtrack, Blinky Bill, Woo Assassins, Wolf Like Me, and more. So the character of Lola um, is based on various things. So under the instructions of Sean Byrne, Robin McLeavy prepared for the role of Lola by researching the serial killer Jeffrey Dahmer, who, of course, used a power drill to try and lobotomize his victims the same way she does it in this film. Um, He wanted to turn them into obedient zombies, and after drawing, uh, drilling a hole in their heads, he poured acid in rather than a kettle. Um, as well as that, she was told to watch Misery, Natural Born Killers, and the works of Quentin Tarantino. And I must say, Robin McLeavy is incredible in this film. I, I think she does a good job. She's so I good. Actually, She's, yeah, I do think she does a good job. Like, again, very one note. There's yeah. only one thing she has to do, but she does it very well. Um, some of her line delivery is just absolutely ridiculous. It's so funny. Uh, it's also the fact that she's given me Angie K energy <laughs> and the eyeshadow is so bright. Um, yeah, she, 
I feel like she could have really been a camp queen, a real yeah. camp queen. I think she is at points. I think she um, is at points. She I is, mean, the fact she's she wearing is. that fucking pink, that hideous pink dress the whole time. Yeah. And that pink paper crown at points. Like, it's just, yeah, ridiculous. But she really pulls it off. Um, John Brumpton, <laughs> someone that she almost did pull off yeah. uh, as Eric. <laughs> Her father. Her father. <laughs> He was in Romper Stomper, The Hunter, Killing Time, Home and Away. Obviously, someone yes. in this film had to be from Home and Away. Um, measure for Measure, Australia Day, Scare Campaign, Sucker, Without Warrant, and many more. He's had quite a the prolific career. He's probably for the Australian audience. Someone, oh, I can't think of someone. Ken like, Barlow. Maybe, but no, someone who always pops up on TV and you don't quite yeah. know their name. You're like, oh, I know him. Yeah. We get loads of them in the UK. You know what I'm, t- yeah. I'm talking about? Like, they were probably a small part in Love Actually and yeah. then turned up in an episode of The Bill. He's also great. He's very Roy Cropper coded. Did you not think? Were you not yeah, it's true. Roy Cropper? It's true. <laughs> um, yeah, John Brumpton is just he's so creepy. In this role, like there's just something unsettling about him whenever he's on screen because he kind of there are moments where he looks like he doesn't agree with what she's doing, but still just sits there watching. And then there's obviously the whole incest side of things as well. It's just yeah, he give, gives me shivers. He's uh, great, but could have, this could have been even better because John Jarrett turned down the role of Daddy to okay. avoid uh, typecasting. John Jarrett being the star of, which you haven't seen yet, Wolf Creek. And he is phenomenal in Wolf Creek. Mm -hmm. He is so creepy. And he would have been perfect for this role. Um, But with that being said, John Brumpton does does do a great job. Victoria Fane uh, is also in this as Holly. Star of, unfortunately, Son of the Mask. Sonia and Cherry. Oh no, not Son of the Mask. Yeah. Nowhere Boy. Uh, no, her boys with an S. Oh. Scrublands, Bruce, Mr. and Mrs. Murder, The Dr. Blake Mysteries, also 48 Shades, uh, Gone, and more. Yeah. Sidelined for a lot of the film, really. Yes. Um, probably for the best. Character. She wasn't the most likable from the get-go. but the, Yeah. She's meant to be. But... weird dialogue yeah. um, that we'll get to. Uh, do you have anyone else? Um, I don't, actually. No. Um, okay. yeah, no, sure. I haven't. No, cool. no, sorry. Uh, with that being said, <laughs> let's talk about our feature presentation. This film makes use of a lot of needle drops, and we start with Lonesome Loser by Little River Band, which is playing whilst high schooler Brent is driving with his father, Dan. After a conversation about Brent being conceived in the back seat and a little conversation about heavy metal, a bloodied man appears in the middle of the road. 
Swerving to avoid the man, Brent crashes his vehicle into a tree, killing his father. Yeah, so the discourse is between Brent and his father, Dan, is the sort of hair metal rock yeah. ballad that's playing. It's like, that's proper music, not the emo shit that you listen to. <laughs> yeah. Was emo a term in 2000? Of course it was. Of course it was. Emo was such a term of in course. 2009. He didn't say emo though. He, he says does not. that oh heavy metal, heavy metal, sad boy yeah. music <laughs> that you listen to. Um, Lonesome Loser by the Little River Band. Little River Band seemingly were a proper band and had hits in the seventies yep. and and such. There's a few. Well, there's two. Should I say songs? This one and the main song that we'll get. Yes. To, we'll, we will get to. Where I wasn't sure if they were deliberately written for the film, like written for the film, mm. in a way, because they're kind of a little spot on. Yeah. This I think, one I know isn't. Yeah. I feel like they're both specifically chosen because. Yeah, of course. They could fit it in yes. with what's But going I wasn't on. sure if maybe they'd gotten a friend to write a yeah. song because I hadn't heard of any of um, yeah, it's a it's a good opening scene. Very, very 2000s. I feel like there's so many 2000s horror films that start with someone nearly being run over in the road. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2003. Um, six months later, Brent politely turns down Lola Stone's invitation to the prom in favour of his girlfriend, Holly, whilst Brent's friend, Jamie, asks school goth Mia Valentine to go to the prom. And she says yes. Yes. Mia Valentine. Mia Valentine. Perfect for Valentine's Day. It is. Our uh, episode. Yeah. Raven-haired, pierced, goth queen. Yeah. Absolutely looks like someone Chris would have hung out with in the Campbell. Yeah. Around this time. She, yeah. In Coventry. She's She really wants someone to bring her back to life. Wake <laughs> her up. Don't let her die here. <laughs> All that business. Yeah. Um, yeah, <laughs> which I absolutely would. She's have, yes. just giving me the late two thousands emo queen. Realism. I love it. it Here it, for it's, it. Yeah, there was. I swear, in Kerrang magazine, there was like a comic strip. Oh, of a girl I do who remember just this. Like her. God, I can't remember her name. But yeah. Yes, there was. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I was absolutely giving her. <laughs> um, Lola secretly watches uh, Holly and Brent having sex in Holly's car. And Brent mentions that someone asked him to the prom, but teases her by refusing to say who it is whenever she asks. It's giving uh, John Travolta and Nancy Allen in the car in Carrie when she's asking him to do her a favour with Carrie. Yeah, you think? Um, yeah, it's that's what it was giving me, like the way they were delivering the dialogue and everything. They're, these Everyone was definitely told to watch Carrie in this film. Um, I feel like... If I'm being honest, I feel like the filmmaker just wanted a sex scene and to show some boobs. Yeah. I mean, well, know, yeah, it, I, just, I just feel like that that was the decision that was made. Did you notice how close Lola was standing to the car? Yeah, I'm surprised they didn't <laughs> notice. She wasn't watching from a distance, let's yeah. put it that way. Um, Guilt ridden over his father's death, Brent has turned to self-harm with a razor blade hidden in his necklace. So Holly has a strange reaction to seeing the cuts on Brent's torso. Yeah. And she puts, you know, she sees the razor blade, she sees the cuts. 
She puts two and two together, but she doesn't mention it. No. And she doesn't seem visibly concerned. No. Which I, I didn't, I didn't, I mean, I didn't get much of her character anyway, but I wasn't sure what this meant. Yeah, because I mean, spoiler alert, she's the hero of the piece. To a certain degree, yes. Really? Because, yeah. you know, if she didn't show up, then the day would not have been saved in the end. Yes. Um. So I feel like she, I mean, of course she's supposed to be likable. She's his girlfriend. Uh, but after she drops him off and he tells her who asked him to the prom, she says, you should go with her. Maybe she won't mind having an emotional arsler for a boyfriend. Now, obviously... 2009, so she doesn't say arsler, she says the actual word. Um, but with that line of dialogue and her reaction to him cutting himself, it's kind of like, you're not actually that likeable. No, no. To be so flippant about... Well, his dad died six yeah, months ago. exactly. And to be so flippant about him harming himself... Yeah. And to use an ableist slur... Yeah. At the same time, it's like, well, I'm not on your side. No. And it turns out that all she does in the film is either have sex with him or cry over him. Mm. And she doesn't get much else to do. Until she saves the day. Until she saves the day. But even then, I <laughs> it's mean... It's by accident. It's by accident. <laughs> um, yeah. No, she's, yeah, she's definitely not the most exciting character. Not the most likeable. Um... I mean, the whole self-harm thing, again, you know, it feels very much a 2009 to include this so flippantly anyway, not just with her reaction, but the film's reaction to this and just like showing it is like, there you go. This is what he's going through because mm, his father died. Yeah. It's, you know, a plot point. Again, very with his hair, the way he does as well. It's just, it screams 2009. And I think, you know, films should be able to deal with plots of self-harm, but actually deal with actually plots deal of self-harm. With because it's not part of the comedic side no, of the film. No, So it feels forced. Yeah. And at home, Brent's mother, Carla, insists on him taking a taxi to prom rather than ride with an inexperienced Holly. Um, again, Carla, very one note. Yeah. I, I think it, it kind of boils down to, doesn't Carla look like shit? She yeah. must be struggling after her husband's death. Yeah. And that's it. Like, okay. Cool. Yeah. I promise I'm going to justify my love for this film <laughs> soon enough. And the rain, I'll give it at the end. Um, Brent leaves his house and goes to a nearby cliff where he briefly contemplates suicide but changes his mind. As he listens to music and attempts to call his mother... Someone knocks him out and Carla hears it happening over the phone. Yes. Can I ask a question? Yeah. He really struggles to climb the cliff. He does. But his dog meets him at the top. Dogs are good climbers. So how did the, <laughs> well, we didn't see the dog climb the cliff. So how did the dog get there with such ease? <laughs> he was trying to put his life at risk. So let's take that into consideration. So do you think he... Oh, okay. So do you think he was... He was like, oh, I'm going to struggle to climb this. Yeah. And whatever happens, happens. Yeah. Sort of situation. Okay, I, I understand. Yeah. So there would have been an easier access for the dog. Uh, yes. Yeah. Okay, good. I, I, I thought it was a flying dog. I was like, yes. Well, Jamie... That's what every film needs. Jamie arrives at Mia's house to pick her up. He hands her some flowers and apologises that they're not in black and constantly look and she constantly looks like going to prom is just such a huge inconvenience for her it does <laughs> spoiler alert we find out that her 
brother yeah. is missing. Yes. And her brother is one of Lola's victims. Yeah. So she's obviously going through a tough time mm-hmm. the same way that Brent is going through a tough time after yeah. the death of his father, you know? So I don't really get this scene. Mm-hmm. Because it plays of like, oh, she's too emo, she's too goth to care about having photos, all that business. When actually underneath, she's dealing with the loss of a loved one. Yeah. Um, But that's never brought up. That's never actually dealt with in the film. As far as, unless I missed something. No, not really. Um, Yeah, it does come in like it's some sort of plot twist later on. Um, but I thought that this whole, because this is very much a subplot now. Mm. It's Jamie and Mia's time going to prom, um, which I thought was just a funny little subplot showing two different prom experiences happening at the same time. Um, of course, Brent's turns out to be a very different prom experience. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's adds some cheery comedic value, almost like... When it pops up, it's during some of the most extreme scenes in the film. So I feel like it's there, like, you've just seen something really fucking nasty. Here's something cheery and funny and light. Yes. But when you realise that underneath it, it's a girl that's dealing with grief. Yeah. It doesn't seem so funny. That's true. That's true. Um, It kind of... Obviously, it's, in a way, relief from the the ultra violence that we're seeing yeah. and I, I fully understand that and it's not as ridiculous as the two cops and like last house on the left no. how ridiculous that is but it it kind of has a darker undertone when you realize that she is dealing with grief yeah but she never speaks about her grief no and we'll, we'll get to get to that so Carla goes looking for Brent, but can't find him. She lets Holly know, and the family dog arrives home, having been stabbed. The dog sadly mm. dies, oh. whilst Holly drives into the vet, and Carla calls Mia's police officer father to tell him what's happened. Now, we do see Mia's mother at this point looking a little distraught, in the same way we saw Carla distraught previously. Mm-hmm. So it gives the impression that something's going on. Yeah. And this film is, you know, as funny as it is at times, it is bleak and it's kind of like over exaggerated bleak because it's like every depressing thing that could happen to characters in this film happens to them like the dog dying you know two grieving mothers and Mia I think she's going through it's just like it's almost over exaggerated with how much goes on mm. um but yeah yeah no I'm just saying yeah <laughs> <laughs> like, no point now um, well, thank you for telling us. Brent's captors are revealed to be Lola and her father, Eric, who have decorated their house in imitation of a prom. Eric gives Lola her prom dress in her bedroom, whilst not pretty enough by Casey Chambers plays. Now, this is the first of three times you're going to hear Not Pretty Enough by Casey Chambers. Very Taylor Swift coded. Absolutely. Early Taylor Swift. Um, and it's camp. It is. The, it's the, high count. The lyrics include, am I not pretty enough? Do I cry too much? Am I too outspoken? And I I wasn't, and I'm still not sure if this was maybe written specifically for the film. 
because it, it's by Casey Chambers, who has other yeah. other music. Um, but I don't know. Maybe could have been a a, a friend who was a singer songwriter. Can you sing me a song? It, you know, here's here's the plot of the films. Write me a, a kind of a cheesy song that you would find in a teen movie. Yeah. Um, because it's she's. We get a little montage, don't we? Lola's pasting uh-huh. pictures in her book, um, of of uh, Brent and drawing in there, and it's very yeah. teen movie, almost not another teen movie. It's so sort of on the nose mm-hmm. with uh, teen movie montages, and then she gets her beautiful dress, and and I feel like this part is a parody. I feel like this is yeah. the comedy. Coming in, this is the black comedy mm-hmm. of of the film, and and it is a scene that I really liked because it, it made me cackle. It, it well, it didn't make me cackle, it made me chuckle. <laughs> yeah, and for me, it's the moment you hear the first lyrics of "Not Pretty Enough." Yeah, it's hilarious. So like, I feel like it was maybe written for the film. Well, are you I doing mean, your research? I am doing some research, and uh, it looks like it actually was not. No. So this song, Not Pretty Enough, was a single by Casey Chambers Mm. in 2002. Oh, wow. Okay. At the time when songs like this would have been in teen films. Yes. You know? So it's kind of... It still feels a bit like parody, though. No, absolutely. They definitely took this song on purpose. And do you... I mean, if you listen to it in 2002 out of context of this film... Yeah. Dare I say what you'd be like, oh, what's this shit? <laughs> okay. <laughs> a little bit. You know you Mr. I listen to angsty 90s females playlist over here. <laughs> you would have loved this song if you no, randomly discovered it. This is not Alanis Morissette. How dare you? It's not as dark as Alanis Morissette, but it's still coded <laughs> in know? 90s angsty oh, females. It's a bit cheesy. Come on. Um, but it sounds like something from like fucking... Sweet 16 oh, and MTV. She is absolutely, she's all that. Yeah. It's like, oh. Yeah. I took my glasses off for him. Yeah, which is so funny. It's, <laughs> um, and her room as well. She's there with a scrapbook of all the victims. Yeah. Putting on this fucking shitty pink dress whilst her father watches her. It's honestly, it's so funny. It's this song, it might as well be an additional character in this film. <laughs> Whenever it's used, it's such a highlight. Brent wakes up bound to a chair. The three are sat at a table along with a lobotomized woman that they call Bright Eyes. Now, Bright Eyes, her dress, on the other hand, not bad. She's, not she's bad. looking nice in, in blue. Yeah. Yeah, she she's um she's not looking her best in general. Well, no, though. she has been lobotomized. She, she has been lobotomized. She's she's not been looked after. Um Lola asks a pretty obvious question to her father. Who looks pre- <laughs> who looks prettier, me or bright eyes? And I have to say Lola does look prettier, you know, in in all fairness. Well, she's been she's been better looked after than uh, than poor bright eyes. It's yeah, it's a good job that they won't judge it on the dress. Um this yeah, so Lola then uh, injects Brent's voice box with bleach. Destroying his vocal cords, making him unable to scream or talk. This is your first sign of how extreme things are going to get in yes. this film. Do you not think that was a mistake? No. Story-wise. 
not allowing. So Brent basically doesn't say a word for the rest of the film. He doesn't, but at the same time, it's just I don't know. It could have fallen deep into cliche territory if he was allowed to speak. How many times have we seen the Texas Chainsaw Massacre dinner scene done now where we get the same questions, the same dialogue, the same screaming mm. time and time again? I felt like it was just kind of like, oh shit, that's the length she's willing to go to to make this work. Maybe that was the filmmaker's reaction to the Texas Chainsaw yeah. Massacre scene. Because it is very much... Now let's, hey, now, let's make no mistake here. The original scene, the dinner table, and the Caroline Williams one, both iconic. Yeah, and yeah, I yeah. wouldn't change a thing of about course. them. But once you get to three and four, it's been played out. It's just like, come on, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, I remember that's a good point actually. The, when I first, when I watched the first four Texas Chainsaw Massacre films back to back, I genuinely, by the time four had finished, I'd had a fucking headache. Like it was just constant fucking screaming. Mm. Um, but yeah, more on Texas Chainsaw Massacre four when we talk about it later this year. Yeah. Meanwhile. Jamie and Mia drink vodka. They smoke weed and they headbang to Let's Roll by Mammoth Mammoth in the school car park instead of going to the prom. Mammoth Mammoth. Yeah. Love it. But back at the Stonehouse prom, Lola and Eric are eating chicken when they find a wishbone and pull it together. Lola says, make a wish. And Eric's like, well, my wish was for you anyways. And she's like, I wish for you too. Doesn't make sense. What do they wish for? Their existence? They're, they're there. You have to wish for something specific, honey. Um, I, I think they mean otherwise. Um, judging by something that happens later on. Of course. Lola begins to humiliate Brent by making him suck her finger at first and then force him to piss into a glass, experiencing arousal in the process. Whilst her father's there looking horrified, but also kind of intrigued. Yeah, she's feeding him chicken like yeah. he's a child, so the the airplane, and she keeps asking, is it finger-licking good? Mm-hmm. Um, and she says, as she's holding his penis to the glass, <laughs> um, you've got 10 seconds to go, or Daddy's going to nail it to the chair. And then we get the 10-second countdown, because uh, he's he's a bit shy, and I don't, I don't blame him, it's just... Best situation no, to force out no. Um And uh, he eventually does pee in the glass and she says, it's crying. <laughs> I better kiss it better or maybe bite it off so she can never kiss it again. It's fucking hilarious. Like the, the line delivery, it always takes me by surprise every time. Oh, it's crying. <laughs> what a way to describe <laughs> kissing. Well, I mean, Pitton's never really been glamorous, has it? No. <laughs> Unless you have a piss fetish, it's your decision. I'm not. Um, we're not here to judge no, anyone. Yeah, not for us. Um, Brent frees himself by kicking Lola over and runs outside, but is recaptured by the sadistic father and daughter who pin his feet to the floor with knives. Uh, Eric's like, boys shouldn't hit girls <laughs> as he's <laughs> nailing his feet in. Lola screams at Brent to cry whilst Eric continues to hammer in the knives, but he refuses to. And then a very Australian reference. We don't get it. If you do, please let us know. Eric's like, this is for the Kingswood. Yeah. It made me laugh because it was so fucking random. But if 
anyone knows what it means, please let us know. Kingswood is a place in Australia, but it didn't help. No. Um, I, I did, what I found a little bit camp was when he climbs the tree and they're both throwing rocks at yeah. him. And Lola keeps throwing rocks and he, she eventually knocks him out and he falls onto the car. Um, question. Why is there always washing on the line in these sort of films? That is true. Always. Yes. It's late at night. Get mm-hmm. your washing in. Um, Lola shows Brent a scrapbook with photos of her past victims and he recognises Timmy Valentine, oh. Mia's brother and the bloodied man who caused his crash. So... Honestly, Lola has been a menace to everyone in this film. She technically is her fault that his father's dead. Yeah. You yeah, know, absolutely. Her fault that Mia's having a terrible time. And obviously she's torturing Brent. So, And I don't know if I misheard the name, so forgive me if I got this wrong. But poor James Agnew. Boring. Boring. <laughs> it's very burn book. Yeah. Um, the scrapbook. Yeah. I think yeah. it's definitely a take on that. I think so. Um, Lola then brands Brent by carving her initials onto his chest with a dining fork mm. and sprinkling salt on it. The, just the fork was camp for me. The <laughs> idea that she did all of that because it fork. is deep carving. Like it is deeply carved in and she did it all with a, a, a fork you'd eat dinner with. Yeah, um, you gotta gotta do what you need to do with what the tools that you have. Yeah. Yeah, there's a phrase there that I totally fucked up, but you know, you get the idea. I get the idea. <laughs> Meanwhile, back in the car park, Jamie and Mia finally decide to go to the prom, even though Mia is stumbling everywhere. Also, Lonesome for You by Pete Molinari plays at the school prom. Mm. Uh, when Mia starts wanking Jamie off on the dance floor and shouts at people for staring at them before they're both kicked out. Yes. Um. Again. I just, I suppose what I, I'm struggling with is how the the two girls in the film who are on their sides are overly sexual. Yeah. So like Mia, I don't, I don't know what her history is with Jamie, but seemingly this is the first time she's agreed to go on a date with him. So, and it, it's obviously no judgment for, from us because we're sex positive on this podcast. But I just feel like the the three main female characters in this film, all they're really about is either wanting sex or not being able to get the sex that they want. Or indeed trying to shag their dad. And it, it feels like everything else about is kind of one note. Yeah. Do, do you know what I mean? Uh-huh. It's just like, what does this tell us? Trying to wank him off in the middle of a dance floor... What does that tell us about Mia? What 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 is that? Mm. And I I don't think it tells us anything. I no. think it's just let's just throw it in there. Yeah. Let's this would be funny. Yeah, it is, it is very much for comedic purposes. Yeah. I to be honest, I don't think Sean Byrne wanted the majority of this film to be taken seriously. No. And with that being said, as much as I love the film, I don't think a lot of thought went into a lot of it. I felt like it was just thrown together as a funny horror comedy. I think, yeah, and I, I think sometimes with... I suppose it is a directorial debut. It's, yeah. you know, and I don't want to judge it too harshly. But I think sometimes it's, let's throw this and yeah. see if it sticks. Mm-hmm. And I just, I feel like 
in this regard, it feels a little lazy to yeah. me. Just, I just, I'm like, what, did, what is this telling us about Mia, this yeah. character, who we've just found out is going through mm-hmm. an immense moment of grieving? Yeah. What is this telling us about Mia? You know, seemingly not, because we, we don't hear from her. No. We don't hear her say anything about the grieving process. Mm-hmm. Well, back at the stone house, Eric crowns Lola prom queen and she dances with Brent to, of course, not pretty enough, yes. whilst her father sprinkles glitter all over them. <laughs> her crown is a paper Christmas cracker it style is. crown and I'm living for it. Not going to lie. I thought she looks kind of cunty with the <laughs> crown and the dress. In a psychotic kind of way, yeah. And the eyeshadow. Um, again... In this scene, she kind of looks like Jennifer Tilly. She looks very much like Jennifer Tilly. Um, so I, I'm living for it. Yeah, she tells him she wants to dance to Not Pretty Enough at her wedding. Yes. But tells Brent that she won't marry him because he's an, just another frog. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, who's not a frog? Her dad. Her dad is certainly not a frog. Not a frog. Um, and she kind of insinuates that he might be the one that she wants to marry. I don't think she even insinuates. I think she straight up says it. She uh, admits that she has uh, she just... incestuous feelings for him. And the two of them almost kiss before Brent interrupts them. What, what do you have to say about this? I don't think I have anything to say. I just... <laughs> Again, I, I just kind of feel like it's thrown in there and see if it's... St- like, what can we do to make these people, like, the worst people? And it works. Yeah. I mean, it's creepy and it's... Well, it does, It's kind of funny. It is So funny. it's very yeah. black comedy. Um, we don't see anything and it, it's, it doesn't go that far. You know, there's the dancing, but it's not like they start kissing or, they, you know... That would be too much, I yeah. feel. Um, so I, I kind of, it kind of made me chuckle. You know, yeah. it's kind of silly, really. Uh huh. Eric opens a trap door on the floor, revealing a basement cellar with the previous abductees still alive. Now, for me, this is my least favorite part of the film. Yeah. And always has been. I always felt like this felt a bit out of place. It kind of. Because it feels very House of a Thousand Corpses. Mm. And I think that's the only reason it's there. Yeah. Um, But it kind of... I don't know. It just... It didn't fit for me. Like, I think everything else flows so well, regardless of character development and all that and everything. As a film, everything else flows so well. It's very well structured. You know, you've got your character there. He's been abducted. He's trapped. This is his situation. I'd have rather his situation just played out and he escaped. He found a way to escape. Have the police go to the house like happens later on. Have Holly go to the house, maybe have her killed. You know, something like that. It didn't need to change it up too much. But I feel like this just... I feel like it's just a step too far with the silliness. I feel like it's piled on. Too much is piled on. Like, yeah. How can we make these two people the worst possible? 
okay, let's have them do this, have them do that, in, like, really gruesome, gory ways. Yeah. Um, and then we, what we're going to do, okay, make them incestuous, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. And then, so what, how can we top that? And I'm like, maybe it doesn't need topping. Mm. Maybe you don't need, I suppose, jumping the shark, really, in yeah. a sense, where it's just like, okay, it's a bit, a bit much now, isn't it? Yeah. It takes I, you out of, out of it. Yeah, I because thought. to a certain extent, everything that's happened before this doesn't stray too far from realism, mm. <laughs> you know? And that's what makes the gore so effective and so on, because, you know, it's doing things that people can actually do to each other. I yeah. mean, she's based on a serial killer, you know? Um, so when this is added in, it's just kind of like, uh, I don't know, just having that entire thing under the house and having them down there, you know, these lobotomized abductees, Looking like demons, it's just kind of like, uh, really? Yeah, yeah. I do, I do think it it's it takes a bit too far. Yeah, and I feel like what is sacrificed is the character development that we could have had. Yeah, before you know they could have given us a, a couple of the kills at some point, a little flashback or something. If they they want to make use mm-hmm. of, you know, these characters or, or make yeah. more of the uh, previous. Loved ones. Mm. Um, well, I, yeah, I, I, yeah. Not for me. No. It used to be my only complaint about this film until we decided to analyse it for the podcast. <laughs> Bless you. Uh, meanwhile, Jamie and... Horror Court Treasure are ruining films since 20... What, what year? 2019. 2019. 2019. Fuck you now. Meanwhile, Jamie and Mia have sex in the back of Jamie's car in an unknown car park. Now, I really like this. Um, because this, no, because this does one of my favorite things about Silence of the Lambs. Okay. The clever editing, uh, where Eric's going outside of the house and there's a car outside the house and it doesn't look too dissimilar Mm -hmm. to Jamie and Mia's car. Yeah. And he approaches it and as he approaches it, they get a knock on the window, but they're actually in a school car park. Mm. Essentially useless, but I thought it was a nice bit of suspense. Yeah. I thought, you know, any homage to Silence of the Lambs, I think, is a good thing. Yeah, and I, I think ultimately, and, and I don't want to sound like I'm being too harsh on the film, but it feels like a filmmaker who is testing things out. Yeah. And th- this part of it, it's, it's cool. It's like, yeah. okay, a little homage to Silence of the Lambs. Does it quite work? No. But, you know, I'm glad you tried. Yeah. But this school principal only kicks him out of the car park. Yes. Back at the stone house, a, a scene that genuinely, every time I watch it, it really makes me feel a bit sick. Mm. And a lot of the times, I usually turn away, but doing it for the podcast, I watched every second of it and actually realised this has the hook in the back effect from Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Mm-hmm. So Lola drills a hole through Brent's skull. And now I've always thought you could see the drill going in. Mm. But this time I watched, and you actually don't. Nope. The camera's just underneath. Yeah. Um, but the sound effects are so fucking good to the point that you feel like you've seen everything. Yeah. It looks and sounds nasty. Um, and then it just gets even worse when she pour she pours a kettle and she pours does. boiling water into the hole. Well, she she doesn't manage to. She, no, she she has a hand from her father. Yeah. So she she struggles, bless her. Yeah. 
um, to to do the hold properly. And then there's something quite camp about her holding a kettle. Yeah. To do it. <laughs> her in that paper crown and that dress. Yeah. With both the, the drill and the kettle. That is camp. It is camp. Um, what I feel, I feel what's really gruesome about the scene, um, because her, her dad then takes over. Yeah. To make the hole bigger. And then they go to pour the boiling water in, but Brent gets free. Mm-hmm. What makes it worse, I feel, is being familiar with the Dharma story yeah. and the Dharma yeah. part of it. And that this is based on real life. Yeah. And it makes it incredibly uncomfortable. Yeah. To know that, okay, this in the film seems incredibly far-fetched. Yeah. But it's actually one of the parts of the film that is based on real mm-hmm. life. Yeah. And that makes it even creepier. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Brent manages to free himself again. He attacks Eric with his hidden razor blade and stabs him with one of the knives he pulled out of his feet. He pushes Eric into the cellar where the starving and now deranged and presumably lobotomized captives tear him apart. It's what he deserves. Yes. Uh, an unhinged Lola pushes Brent into the cellar and throws everything she can get her hands on at him. Everything and the kitchen sink. <laughs> apart, apart from the hat. Not the hat. She keeps, that she keeps the hat. <laughs> um... But yeah, and, and this is the point, again, you know, where I kind of felt like, I feel like it drags a bit because of this. Mm. And it's not the longest film, actually. It's and it's an, not the most, minutes. yeah, and that's the thing, it's not the most amount of locations no. in the film either. But I think just that living room, set up and dining room set up for the prom, I think it's just a good enough location choice as it is. It didn't need this big hidden salad. Absolutely. Um, and again, I... I... Like I said, I feel like other parts of the film were sacrificed in order to have this. Yeah. And I, I feel like I would rather have had a bit more mm. character yeah. development. Because everything that happens outside of the cellar now, you know, um, with with the Lola character, mm. I think his, it could have stayed there without the cellar being there. Uh-huh. And still would have been just as effective. Yeah. Um, Brent finds a flashlight and a hammer among the thrown objects and uses them to defend himself against the captives. Whilst Jamie takes Mia back home and she is fully white girl wasted. Her father opens the door and Jamie's just there looking awkward. like, ah, I must have danced her off her feet. <laughs> That's my Australian. <laughs> that was caught me. Yes, thank you. Um, but that kind of brings that side of the, the prom to an end. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that happened. Well, back at the stone house, <laughs> Lola smothers bright eyes, who turns out to be her mother, <gasps> with a pillow out of jealousy. Oh. I don't understand why this didn't happen earlier. If yeah. she kills her out of jealousy, but, like, your dad's dead. Uh-huh. So where's the jealousy now? I feel like yeah. maybe this should have been earlier in the film. Mm-hmm. And we could have seen... I, I feel like it should have been... Because she sends her off to bed fairly yeah. early. Bright Eyes is barely in the film. I feel like we could have had this earlier and we could have seen what Lola's capable of. Yeah. And I think that would have yeah helped. Well, Holly remembers Brent... <laughs> so sorry, I'm just picking this film apart. I do apologise. It's, it's the <laughs> Halloween ends effect. <laughs> this podcast... 
Holly remembers Brent telling her about Lola asking him to the prom and calls Mia's father to let him know. Well, her memory was a little better a little earlier on, we, we wouldn't be in this mess. Very true. Uh, he drives straight to Lola's house where Lola kills him with a meat cleaver. Again, you know, great scene. Could have happened without the basement. Yeah, yeah. This is this is your um, dick from Shining. Yeah. Moment where you feel someone's coming to save the day and they do absolutely fuck all. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and he's built up oh, quite is a lot. That this, it? this character's built up quite a lot, which again I think this is maybe adding to the comedic value. Like this whole thing <laughs> yeah, that yeah. he's, you know, he's going to want to get vengeance for his son, who she, you know, lobotomized and so on. Um, and we get quite a few scenes with him, you know, this police officer, and then he just goes in and immediately is killed. I think maybe the film plays on expectations yeah. of what we expect the film to mm-hmm. be about. So the idea that our main dude barely speaks a word for the majority of the film, you yeah. know, the, the, our expectations of this, um, this girl who has been turned down and then she, you know, tries to kill the guy who's turned her down when actually in fact, it's her dad that she's really in love with. Yeah. You know, I think it's playing on expectations of genre in horror and in teen films as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think I think it's it's quite funny in that sense. Yeah. That he's there to save the days. Me Cleaver, okay. Yeah. <laughs> What's that done? <laughs> Lola taunts Brent, saying she will kill Carla as a revenge for her father. And kill Holly for breaking her heart. So after she leaves, Brent manages to climb out of the pit using the pile of corpses. Lovely. And as Lola walks on the road, singing, you guessed it, not pretty enough. Yes. She sees Holly approaching in her car. It's just funny to me that she's the female Leatherface at this point. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I would have loved for her to do a little dance. Yeah. I think this song's the equivalent. Me, yes, yeah. She throws her burn book at the windshield and attacks Holly, who flees on foot. Brent arrives in the police car and runs over Lola. Oh, yeah. So he's uh, he plucks up the courage to drive again. He does. Uh, because he was driving when his father died. This entire film is just about him overcoming his fear of cars. That's yeah, all it is. Yeah. Holly clambers into the police car and is shocked to see Brent. The two embrace tearfully as a severely injured Lola with her wrist hanging off approaches the car. Um, Brent reverses the car, striking Lola in the head and crushing her skull. (laughs) Brent and Holly arrive back home where a shocked Carla embraces her son. And that's the loved ones. And that's the loved ones. A sharp 84 minute runtime. Yeah, yeah. I like that it kept it quick. Yeah. You know, um, it it knew exactly what it wanted to do in, in regards to gore. And being extreme. Yeah. And I do think because of that, there are some standout moments and some very memorable moments. Yeah. I just feel like too many parts of it felt undercooked. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish there could have been more character development. I wish there was more to the characters. It felt very one note at times. But there's a lot of... I, I can understand why it's a cult film. Because there are a lot of standout moments. And for me, 
my personal taste, there's quite a bit of campiness yeah. there as well, which, you know, I appreciated. But I think the overall film is it, it, a little undercooked. Yeah. I just enjoyed it for being a silly, nasty film. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, if, if that's what you like, then yeah, go for it. You know, there's a lot to, to admire here. And there's there's a lot we learn from this podcast. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Let's give it some awards, though. Yes. Uh, biggest Queen, I give it to Mia Valentine. I went for Mia as well. I, I think... Our goth Queen. She, yeah, our goth Queen. Um, an undercut Queen, but still a Queen. Yeah. Biggest <laughs> Gasp, I give it to the entire Drill and Kettle scenario. I went with the Drill. Absolutely. Uh, best dialogue, I give it to, it's crying. I better kiss it better or maybe I'll bite it off so she can never kiss it again. Yes, I agree. And that's camp, I gave it to all three uses of Not Pretty Enough by Casey Chambers, but especially the second time it plays during the Stonehouse prom dance. Okay, I went with the scrapbooking moment. Okay. <laughs> with the song. <laughs> uh, ratings, I give it. Eight incestuous dances to Not Pretty Enough by Casey Chambers out of ten. I gave it six cunty Christmas cracker crowns out of ten. Uh, masterpiece, trash piece, trash, basic or a camp or bunch of fern. I don't know. It doesn't really fall into any of those. Yeah. I'd, I'd, it's, yeah, it's difficult. If you enjoy... Because we have so many different ones. <laughs> if, if you enjoy torture porn, then I'm sure you could call it camp or bunch of fern. Of course, yes. It's available on DVD, Blu-ray, and video on demand. And if you enjoyed this, I recommend checking out Audition. If you enjoy this, I recommend checking out Misery. Because this is more like misery business than misery, but still has a lot in common. Yes. All the Paramore fans will get that. <laughs> Talk to us on social media with Horrorcore Trash over on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Horrorcore Trash on Twitter. I'm Dead at Gaz92 on Letterboxd, Gazmo205 on Instagram, and GazCruz92 on Twitter. I'm Chris Barker823 on Letterboxd and Instagram. And we are now in, if you listen to this on the day of release, we're in the final week of the Gas Horror Festival submissions. Tomorrow, if you're listening on the day, tomorrow is the final day uh, that you can submit your films for the festival. And on Monday, we will be announcing our lineup. So keep an eye out for that across social media. At Gasp Horror Festival. Next week, we are focusing on Women in Horror Month again. And we are discussing a film neither of us have seen yet. Oh. We will be discussing Messiah of Evil. Yes. Um, highly recommended online. Yeah. So many people whose opinion I believe and trust mm -hmm. have said this Messiah of Evil is a classic. So yeah. Really looking forward to watching that. We're back same time, same place next week. Bye.